This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, it is uh, five minutes after four o'clock. Yeah, Liam Moody is in today doing the show. So the same thing applies. Call with your questions about employment law, your job, severance, COVID-19, how it affects you as an employer or an employee. Bring it on. Phone lines are open. The show is for you. It is live and ready for your calls, of course. 604-280-9898 is the way to call in. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address. And any time you want a uh, basically an employment lawyer with you 24-7, even when the show is not on, before you call Leah and the rest of her team, it is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Pretty robust little website there, including the severance pay calculator is on there as well. We'll get to some emails. Employment law, true or false, is on the way. Your phone calls, as I mentioned, the phone lines are open, ready to go. But first, pal, the uh, the week that was, what is happening? Well, I mean, first of all, this spectacular weather. Uh, I don't think that anybody is listening to our show right now. But you know what, John? <laughs> you and I will have some fun. This right. This last week has just been so beautiful in this province and you know it unfortunately is correlating with some increases in our numbers um which will lead me to the first topic of the week that was but um but yeah it's just been it's been a great great week from a weather perspective not so great from a covid uh or even honestly frankly from from an employment law perspective things continue to be just as busy as always um and we know how hard it could be to get a hold of an employment lawyer um, particularly as urgently as you may feel like you need one. And so this yeah. is part of the reason why we have this show and why, you know, I do uh, Facebook Live events um, and, you know, my, my partners do Facebook Live events. It's to try to get information out there. But most importantly, as you said, John, this is a show for the listeners. So, you know, if you have questions, you want to chat about anything, please don't hesitate to call in. That is the primary purpose. You know, John, you and I can ramble on for a full hour mm-hmm. if required. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've done it before. We'll do it again. You bet. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, give us a call if you have any questions, uh, any burning concerns, anything you want to chat about. And, you know, part of the reason why we have this opening segment week that was is because I talk about things that are coming across my desk, things that mm-hmm. are relevant to the work that I'm doing with the hope that even if you don't think you have an, an issue, maybe you're listening to this in the car and something that I say will will go, huh, maybe, maybe I should be calling a lawyer to talk about these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I can't stress enough how important it is to know your rights, particularly in, in the context that we're all existing in right now, which, of course, is a global pandemic and an economic recession. And, you know, it's, it's so important to, to have the information, know what your rights and entitlements are. And, you know, the first thing that I, that I want to chat about today, because as I said, the, the numbers have been kind of unfortunately going up in, in BC. And so been getting a lot of questions about safety in the workplace. And so, sure. uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of ways in which it's come up recently, but just to do like a general overview and general recap, a reminder that this has always been an obligation that employers have and it is particularly relevant now, but your employer, every company that has employees has a positive obligation, which means that they need to be actively doing things to keep the workplace safe and their workers healthy. Full stop. 
And yeah. for COVID, for any uh, company that's recently reopened, every business is required by WorkSafe legislation to have a, uh, a COVID policy in place. This needs to be in writing. It needs to be in a place that is, uh, you know, known to other people, right? So it can't just be like posted in, you know, the, mm-hmm. the southernmost stall of the men's bathroom. It needs to be on right. like a bulletin board that everybody can see or on a company internet or better yet, disseminated in a meeting, right? Uh, where everyone is six feet apart, of course. Um, but, you know, that is something that every company needs to have right now. And every worker in BC has, and again, has always had the right to a safe and healthy workplace, you know, to be informed of any hazards that might be uh, in their work and to refuse unsafe work, right? The right to refuse work that you genuinely believe to be unsafe, that you reasonably believe to be unsafe, is your fundamental right and responsibility. So, you know, if if you think that there's any kind of risk in your workplace that goes above and beyond, you know, what you might have normally um, uh experience in the workplace, you know, like if you're lifting boxes in a factory, you know, there's always the risk that, um, you know, a, a, a box might fall off and, and, and onto you. But if there's, you know, work or concerns that rise above and beyond that, right, then you have the right and and we've said this before, I think the responsibility to bring those concerns um, to to your employer's intention. So your first step as an employee who's concerned in a situation like this is to report that concern to your employer. And, and of course, I'm going to recommend that you do it in writing because that way you can signal to them that this is a formal complaint. This is a formal uh, refusal to engage in unsafe work and or, or work that you believe to be unsafe. And at that point, your employer becomes immediately and legally required to conduct an investigation. If your employer then finds out or determines that there's no basis for your concern or they say that they fix it and you you know still don't think that that's the case you can escalate it and in that case the investigation into the complaint will essentially just be redone but this time with uh, a third party so that is often a union rep or a member of your company's joint health and safety committee if it's a smaller organization and neither of those things exist um, then it can just be any third party worker if at that point it's still not resolved, then that's when you can contact WorkSafe BC and a prevention officer will then conduct an investigation. One extremely important thing that right. is, is critical to get across is the fact that you can't be punished for bringing this forward, right? This is, this is why we have things in the WorkSafe legislation that penalize employers is to make sure that you feel safe coming forward. So if you come forward with a complaint and then all of a sudden, you know, you're iced out of meetings or you're demoted or, you know, you're terminated, that is a major issue and a major liability for the company over and above what they're going to owe you for severance. It's a potential discriminatory action complaint is what that means. It means that you've been discriminated against essentially because you've made uh, a, a concern in the workplace or, or a complaint um, about unsafe work. So that can result in serious fines and penalties to to the employer. So what this has all sort of recently come up uh, in the context of is, of course, this announcement recently that um, that kids are going to be returning to school. Yep. And I read some study that said 
some study. I mean, everyone's citing some study these days. Um, but, you know, it, it said something to the effect of 40% of parents weren't sure if they would be sending their kids back. And I'm sure that many of these parents have, you know, questions about what that means for their work if they're being called into an office and they don't feel safe sending back their kids, particularly if the numbers don't get under control between now and then, or you put your kid in for two weeks and the numbers skyrocket, what's going to be the situation at that time? So unfortunately, as long as the government is saying that schools are open and that there is this option for parents to send their kids to school, Parents are not able to avail themselves of the emergency leave that was enacted by the province earlier because that's only available to individuals who are isolating because of COVID symptoms or have childcare obligations because childcare is unavailable. And, you know, I definitely don't want to equate school with childcare. If anybody's learned anything over these last couple of months, it's how much teachers do. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it is a place where you are that is open for your children to go during the day that frees you up for work and to get our economy back up and running which is a you know big reason why schools are reopening so it because schools are open you won't be able to take advantage of that leave and because schools are open you also won't be able to ask for accommodation on the basis of family status so Parents who are in a situation where they don't feel like they want their kids to return to school, but their school is open, are really and truly stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, you know, there's, I always encourage people, especially right now, to negotiate, have open communication and dialogue. Everything is negotiable. You know, if you've, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of employers want to keep you or might even be grateful for the fact that you would volunteer to go on a leave. So, you know, have those conversations. But in terms of legal rights and entitlements, there's not really a lot here unless you think that there's something about your workplace that's unsafe. And then that would give you a reason um, to stay home. Uh, another thing that has recently come up is, you know, what a lot of people are calling mask rage. Um, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of stories in BC and elsewhere about customers who are being told to wear a mask in stores and they become quite abusive to the individuals who are, um, who are asking them to wear a mask or asking them to go down the aisle in the right way. Um, Part of an employer's obligation with respect to maintaining a workplace free from harassment and bullying includes harassment and bullying from customers. So if you are, you know, work in a grocery store, and I think about the people at my local grocery store all the time yeah. in this context, um, you know, if, if you work in a place where you're expecting or you fear this kind of feedback, ask your employer what the appropriate response is to make sure that whatever you do is going to be supported. You know, I know a lot of places are saying that you are, if somebody, if somebody says they don't want to wear a mask and, and they are abusive to you in any sense of the word, you are in your right to ask them to leave. Right. And that's, I feel how it should be. Um, but you, you clear that with your employer and make sure that it is black and white, clear as day. So you know exactly what you can do in that particular situation. But it definitely extends to treatment of you by your customers and clients. And the last thing that I wanted to cover on this workplace safety topic was, I don't know, John, maybe you've, maybe you've heard it all at this point, but I just couldn't believe when I had this article sent to me. I thought it was, I thought it was an onion article. Like I thought it was a, 
a like funny joke. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing about yeah. this is funny, but I completely thought it was satirical. And it it's an article about how a study out of the UK, again another study, is saying that uh, women have been disproportionately reporting that their bosses are asking them to look sexier during um, oh online conference calls. Can like right? Come on, I. I know, like I, and in writing, in some cases, as far as I understand it, I, it's just, it's baffling to me, you know, like it, I, I just cannot believe that this is still something that needs to be said in this day and age. But your employer asking you to look a certain way, and particularly to look better or sexier for the purposes of a video conference call with a client, oh is not okay is not okay and if that happens you should certainly be uh contacting uh, an employment lawyer um that you know let's not say any more about that because i don't want to give that any more airtime than it's worth but please know that you do not need to uh look sexy do your makeup do your hair um for uh for a client conference call Let's take a quick break. Jimmy, we see you there. We will get to you right after the break. So hang on, fella. And uh, you're up next as soon as we come back from that break. 604-280-9898 is the number. Give us a call, and we'll get to your calls right here. Employment Law Show on CKNW. It's uh, 420. Welcome back to uh, 420. Welcome back to the show. Indeed, 604-280-9898. If you got some time, give us a call. We just had Jimmy there. He just dropped Jimmy. Give us a call back. We're uh we're ready for you again. 604-280-9898 would be the number. In between that and your phone calls, the uh, the topic for today, got some stuff to get through here, Lee, and that is employment law, true or false. I'm going to dig right into these suckers, and uh, I know That's you're going to break them down. Number one, if you are disabled and can't work, your employer can hire someone to replace you, true or false? So that is true. And just before we dive into that, John, I want you to know that I did really think about turning the tables and doing employment law true or false on you. Because I don't no, know no, if you remember, no. but the first, the first radio show that I ever heard between you and Lior was like your three-year anniversary of doing the show. And he decided to quiz you. And you yeah. aced it. Like, you yeah. absolutely aced it. You are just one piece of paper away from being an employment lawyer. Um, it doesn't happen no, too will, often, man. Yeah, yeah, so you'll take it when it comes. Um, so I will say, you know, with respect to with respect to this one, this is uh, one that is, you know, this could also fall under any of our lists that were that are um, related to like common misconceptions or right. employment law myths, because a lot of people feel that if you are on leave, um, medical leave, any kind of leave, really, uh, then your employer can't touch you. That you they can't you can't be fired, and somebody cannot be hired to replace you. And that is actually false, uh, very technically speaking. Okay. So um, you're any company in BC, it, they're not required to, uh, you know, shutter their windows and doors and, um, you know, go over the top to change their business when it comes to people being on leave. The overall assumption and understanding is that business, for the most part, needs to proceed as normal. And so if you are on a disability leave, or if you're on a maternity leave or parental leave or anything like that, your mm-hmm. employer, the company can, in fact, hire somebody to replace you and, and do the work. The caveat to that, of course, 
is that um, when you are ready to come back, that job needs to be available to you or some job that is similar in terms of uh, both the stature of your position and compensation. And if there is no job available to you, then the reality is that you are not only going to be entitled to severance, but you could also be entitled to human rights code damages. And the reason for that is, you know, even if we are allowing employers to, you know, govern their businesses in the way that they see fit and hire people to replace the individuals who are on leave, you know, the fact is that, um, you know, you, you need to, be able to prov- provide these um, individuals who are on leave all of the same sort of uh, opportunities that they would have had had they not been, right? So okay. there is such a thing as implied discrimination. So you don't need as an employer to say, well, I'm not hiring you and I replaced you because you're disabled and I, and, you know, and I can't deal with that, right? It's, it's can be as simple as not being considered for a promotion because you weren't around on a medical leave. Okay. So implied okay. discrimination can still give rise to uh, to a human rights code complaint uh, in BC. So yes, technically your employer can hire someone to replace you and you can be terminated while you're on leave, but the optics of that can be so bad that I don't ever encourage my employer clients to do it unless they're in a really, really tight spot. Um, and you know, you, you certainly do have rights in that situation if you don't have a job to return to at the end of the day. Want to switch over for a second here, get to Jimmy. Jimmy, thanks for hanging on, pal. How are you? Good, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. A couple of questions. Yeah. The first one is, uh, can the labor standards rule that applies for overtime ever be uh, bypassed or ignored? And, and the second question is, what happens if there's a standstill between employer and collective agreement uh, committees when you cannot come to an agreement on a new labor contract? What happens in that scenario? Both scenarios, please. Yeah, so with respect to the overtime provisions of the Employment Standards Act, um, there are some situations in which they can be bypassed in the sense that there can be a workaround, um, but there's no situation in which they can be ignored. Okay, so let me be very clear on that point. Unless you are an employee that is covered by an exemption, to the Employment Standards Act, overtime, any hours that are worked that constitute overtime need to be considered. So when I say bypass, what I mean by that is a lot of employers will say in your contract, you know, you're getting paid a salary of 80 grand a year, and that salary is also meant to cover all overtime hours. Um, or an employer and an employee can enter into an averaging agreement with respect to the hours worked and the overtime that you might be entitled to as a result of that averaging agreement. But other than that, your your employer absolutely owes you overtime if you are working overtime hours, and there's no way that you can just ignore that. Those are those are the minimum entitlements that every employee in BC who's not subject to an exemption is entitled to. Does that answer the first question? Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay. And so the second question, I'm not quite sure I understand what you're getting at. An agreement committee um, is okay. not making... You want to elaborate a little bit? Yes. Uh, let's say uh, you're the employer and I represent the union or the negotiating committee for our newly formed union. And we cannot come to an agreement on wages and, and uh, contract language. 
how long can we keep pushing for uh, you know, our demands or does it automatically get put forward to a mediation or how does that work? Yeah, so I would certainly recommend reaching out to a, a labor lawyer in that case. So I don't do labor law. I do employment law, which sounds like they're very similar, but they are actually very, very different things. Labor law is union related law. So if you are a unionized individual or you are seeking to unionize, the best person to ask is, is a labor lawyer in that case. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, I had the great... Uh late uh, Howard Ehrlich used to represent us, but uh, the gentleman, he was with Bullhauser and Tupper. He passed away, unfortunately. So I thought... That's a great firm, though. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Jimmy. Well, Appreciate luck, Jimmy. the phone call. Yep, we got a, another minute or two before we break. I'll get another one of these. Employment law, true or false? I know you can squeeze this one in here quickly. That is, you have to accept a demotion as long as your pay is not reduced. True or false? False. How quick do you want me to be? So that is absolutely false. Yeah, you know, everyone thinks that a demotion either comes with a pay reduction or if it doesn't, then you are required to accept it by law, but absolutely not. This touches on the principles of constructive dismissal. And if you have been demoted, whether or not it comes with a reduction in your pay, that means that you are allowed to treat your employment as being terminated and you can seek severance as a result. Lots more of these to go. We'll get into our uh, second break here and get right back from it. And your phone calls again, live call-in show. Do what Jimmy did. Make a call and get some uh, some quick answers from Leah. 604-280-9898. Employment Law Show, CKNW. It is 4.33, and welcome back to the show. We are live and taking your phone calls, 604-280-9898. Employee or employer, doesn't matter. Give us a call. You probably have questions, whether you're heading back to work, COVID-19 questions, severance questions, bring them on. Leah here to uh, to answer everything the uh, this afternoon. Email, by the way, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you want to reach out, you can call 604 283 3123 after the show. Employment law, true or false? Right back to this one. Next one, this, uh, Leah, is, is as follows. If you are on a performance improvement plan and your performance does not improve, you can be let go for cause. True or false? So, false. But I hope you're proud of me, John, because, <laughs> you know, I, like classic lawyer, I want to hedge every question. <laughs> it's so hard to answer straightforward, true and false. Like every single yeah. conversation, every single question I want to say, you know, it depends on the facts. Right. But for the most part, the answer to this, I feel confident, is false. So, you know, the only reason why I, I hedge at all on this is because, you know, if you are subject to multiple performance improvement plans over an extended period of time and your performance does not improve, then yes, you can be let go for cause. But it takes a lot. So anytime right. I have an employer client that comes to me and says, we want to let somebody go for performance-related reasons, you, and, and you know that I ask this, I say, how big is your file? Because if the file isn't, you know, like two inches thick of warnings and, you know, what you've done to give this employee opportunities to improve and make it clear what those standards are um, and, and you know, warn them about the potential of a termination if the performance does not improve, then you cannot, as an employer, terminate for cause. Um, you know, performance termination for cause is a very, very high standard um, legally and as it should be. It's referred to as the capital punishment of the employment relationship for that exact reason. Um, you know, severance is granted to every employee in Canada 
for the purpose of supporting them until they find other work, right? And acknowledging that employers are going to do what employers are going to do for business reasons, but that's not your fault and you shouldn't be struggling for groceries while you look for other work. That is just a, a fundamental right that employees in Canada have. And so if you, if your employer is trying to take that away, which is what being terminated for cause means, it means your employer is saying you, through your actions, employee, so irreparably damaged the employment so. relationship that I'm allowed to not give you severance, that that's a very, very high threshold. And so it's usually reserved for the most egregious kind of behavior, right? So we think about theft. That's obviously a big sure. one. And that's one of the only situations in which a single isolated incident can give rise to termination for cause. Um, for the most part, and particularly when we're talking about things like performance or when we're talking about things like absenteeism or insubordination, that is something that needs to be particularly well documented. And that is even yeah. more the case when it's performance, because I think that the general assumption is that most employees want to do well, right? You don't have a lot of people waking up in the morning and thinking, you know, I want to suck at my job today, huh. right? So when you have somebody who's well-intentioned and doing their absolute best in the workplace, but isn't quite meeting up to whatever standard that is, a judge is going to sit there and say, did you make the standards clear? Did you make it clear to them on multiple occasions? Did you warn them that their behavior or their performance or their actions weren't um, living up to these standards? You know, did you outline how you want to see those improvements? Are they measurable? Did you in fact measure them? Did you give them opportunities to improve? And did you warn them what would happen? If all of those things aren't in place, then I'll take your case any day because right. I think it's very, very difficult as an employer to terminate somebody uh, for performance-related reasons just because you've, you haven't met up to the expectations of one PIP or even two or three PIPs. I think it's going to be really, really challenging for an employer to make that argument. So long way of saying false. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, false. Gotcha. Employment law, true or false? This one, this one, uh, Liam may also qualify for the. It depends, and that is when you were let go, you should be getting paid for bonus due in the future. I guess the big question is how far in the future. So is that true or false? Absolutely, and but I will say true because I think that that's okay. an important thing to. I think that I think that we should start with the assumption that it's due, and then okay. we can figure out you know, to what extent or how far in the future. So right. when you're terminated without cause and you're entitled to a reasonable period of notice, you're entitled to be compensated for all aspects of your loss, right? And and that sounds maybe a bit grandiose, but what that means is that when you're terminated, you haven't just lost your salary, you've lost your enrollment to benefits, you've lost your pension plan contributions, you've lost maybe a company vehicle. And one of the things that you've also lost is the op is opportunity cost, right? So the opportunity to earn a bonus. And you know, that also includes the opportunity to earn commissions. So yes. when we're talking, when we're trying to quantify what somebody's loss is as a result of the termination of their employment, bonus is absolutely considered why john i think you said that you know this is a another good one to hedge on although i think any question is a good one to hedge on mm -hmm. um you know is because a lot can come down to uh the bonus policy and again this question of how far into the future so i do think that you know if a bonus wouldn't have become paid to you 
in the period of notice that we're talking about, there's an argument that it's not due. But if we're talking about, you know, you're terminated in September, bonuses come due in January, and we're talking a year of notice that you might be entitled to, you are yeah. absolutely entitled to that bonus if it's something that would have otherwise been paid to you. The only real question is how to quantify it. And the way that we look to quantify it is we look at your history. So if you have a history of earning bonuses and they're all you know $10,000, then we can safely say that you know, none of us have a crystal ball, but based on history, the most likely outcome was that in January, you would have been granted another $10,000 bonus. Now, you did mention commissions there kind of as a, as a sidestep to the bonus because I, I would I would assume that it's happened in the past and an employer may, you know, let go of someone and, yeah, they get their severance based on their commissions and, and overall, but maybe they maybe they maybe this particular person had finished their duties of a particular project uh prior to getting sacked and the payment was still due. They hadn't received their commissions even though their portion of the work was done. Are they not still owe those commissions if they're let go? Like I did my yeah. job. You just haven't paid me for it yet. Totally. Absolutely. So that's that's a great question and an important distinction to make on commissions because you're not just entitled to the lost opportunity, right? You're not just... So in that particular scenario that you just mentioned, John, you know, we what I was just talking about was thinking about what projects might you have been involved in, you know, had you been working over the next year, which is what you want to be compensated for. But if you have um, been involved in a project for which you would have earned and be owed commissions prior to your termination date, you are absolutely, in my view, entitled to that commission payment um, as part of a severance. You know, that to me is similar to unpaid wages. And in fact, when you look at the BC Employment Standards Act, wages is part of the definition of wages includes commissions. And for that exact reason, it, it you know, it is remuneration you are getting for work performed and right. you know the only difference is that it's variable right and that variability doesn't mean that you're not entitled to it so if you're if you're a commission-based employee say even if it's 100 percent commissions and you were let go i mean and your your commissions like a lot of commission-based uh, you know, people would, would would agree that it fluctuates over time be it weeks months or even years how do you uh, how do you adjust how do you calculate that do you take like a two or three year average how's that done yeah, so typically courts will look at a three-year average, although I have okay. to say it has been a really interesting debate that I've been in with a lot of opposing counsel right now because you have a lot of companies saying that, okay, fair, Leah, we grant your point that normally we look at a three-year average, but the fact of the matter is is that this person, along with all of their colleagues, were terminated as a result of COVID because there's no sales, right? So there is no lost opportunity cost here. There is no lost commission going forward. And, you know, I mean, I kind of buy that argument. You know, I, I think that yeah. there there's some legs to that because it really is your severance is just meant to put you in the position that you would have been in had you continued to work. And if sales have completely dried up, then it's really difficult to to quantify that. But I will say that for the most part, the law says we start with the assumption that we're going based off of a three-year average, and then it falls to the employer to show why that should be different. So, you know, let's start by giving you everything that you should be entitled to under the law as it presently stands and let the employer furnish the proof or give the reasons as to why it should be lowered. But, you know, certainly don't don't give up from the outset just for that reason.
Let's take a short uh, short break, our last one before we wrap, so you still got some time to give us a call and ask your questions. Leah's standing by for the remainder of our hour of this show, 604-280-9898. That's the number you use to call in. We'll get right back to an Employment Law Show, CKNW. It is 4.45 here. You still got some time to give us a call. Leah is here to answer your question, 604-280-9898. After the show, you can go to 604-283-3123 and help at employmentlawyer.ca through email as well. Get to our last one before we move on to some emails here. Last one of the employment law, true or false. If your employer did not did not approve your overtime hours and you worked them, it means you won't get paid for overtime work. True or false? False. Absolutely false. Unless there's a contract, there's always an unless, unless there's a contract that says that your employer needs to approve it before you can work it and be paid for it. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of contracts that say that, but absent an employment contract that says that, then any overtime you work as an employee in BC, as long as you aren't subject to one of the exemptions, like, you know, management or a lot of professions, um, you are entitled to overtime pay. And for the record, mm-hmm. that also includes if you're salaried. I think that a lot of uh, people think that overtime is only for individuals who are earning an hourly rate. I don't know if it's just because it's more sort of easily calculable when we're talking about an hourly rate, but whether you are hourly or salaried, if you are working more than eight hours in a day or 40 hours in a week, um, you are absolutely entitled to overtime pay. And the important thing here is that uh, any overtime pay needs to be um, pursued at the employment standards branch in BC unless you have a contract that says you're entitled to overtime, which means that, you know, then you can take it to a lawyer and... and That was something that, uh, uh, you know, you're you're not in, you're entitled to because it's a breach of contract. Right. Um, but for the most part, if you are um, if you work over that period of time, then you are absolutely entitled to it. So if I'm you're saying after 40 hours, even as a salaried employee, I get overtime. So a salaried employee list just shows going how we figure that out. So do you not take that salary, the hours worked, break it down into the number of hours over 40, and that gives you an hourly rate? And then after that, it's what, time and a half? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's essentially it. So for um, for eight to twelve hours in a day, it's time and a half, and for any hours worked over twelve, it's double time. And that's exactly it. You just sort of average out your salary to make it an hourly rate, and then you just pay that at time and a half or double. So, I mean, it's just one extra step of the math. But I think because there is that extra yeah. step of the math, you have a lot of people who just think that salaried employees must not get overtime, but it's not true. Right. The uh, email address, by the way, is help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll get to one from Sammy. Sammy writes and says, hey, Leah, I've been employed for the last three years through an agency. The agency is the one that pays me. They just told me that there is no more work for me, but did not say anything about my severance. Am I entitled to anything? Yes, absolutely. You are entitled to severance. Um, So, you know, oftentimes when you are employed, when you are being put into placements with an agency, there's going to be a contract that governs that. But if you are continuously working through the agency and the agency is paying you, right, I think that that's probably a critical component to this piece of the assessment. If the agency is paying you, then that 
that is an indication of the employment relationship. And right. so in that situation, the agency can't just cut you loose. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, that's particularly true if you've been there for, for three years and you've had consistent employment over that period of time. Uh, you are certainly, uh, entitled to, to severance. And, you know, that also sort of draws on this, on this other issue of, you know, employee versus independent contractor. Because a lot of, um, a lot of agencies hire people as contractors. And I'm using air quotes, which you can't see, but trust me, <laughs> I'm using air quotes for a very, you know, s- specific reason. And that is because just because somebody is called a contractor does not make you a contractor. Um, you know, th- that is um, that what what courts will look at is what the indicia of the employment relationship is. So what the working relationship actually looks like. But if you are, you know, dependent on this company for work, if they set you set if they pretty much control your work in terms of you know setting your hours and setting your pay um and you know dictating the clients and the duties that you do that is absolutely going to be something uh that's a relationship that's considered an employment relationship and that entitles you to severance you have a lot of companies and employment agencies trying to call you a contractor so that they can escape some of the minimum liabilities yep. under the Employment Standards Act. But, you know, w- what you look at is what it walks like and what it talks like, not what it's called, right? So you want to really look, you want to go behind the curtain and really look at what the working relationship is to determine whether or not it's an employment or contractor relationship. But regardless, if you are an employee in that situation, then you are going to be entitled to severance. You can't just be cut off from work, uh, you know, without without it. By the way, you want to reach out anytime to uh, Leah or a member of the team at the firm. It's 604-283-3123. And the email address we use is simply help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll get to, uh, to Erica. Erica says, I just uh, started back at work last week on modified duties after being on a disability for a few months. At the end of the week, the company let me go. They gave me no reason. They offered me, uh, they offered my 52 weeks pay after 23 years of employment as a production manager. I'm 62. What are my rights? Oh, so many rights. There's so much there to unpack. Right. You know, first, yeah. first and foremost, what you want to assess at the point of termination is, are you getting the appropriate amount of severance? Right. And, you know, for if this individual is getting 52 weeks, I'm going to say that it's unlikely that they have an employment contract that limits them to the BC Employment Standards Act. I very rarely have met a company that just decides to, you know, give an extra 44 weeks because it feels like it. Um, this is this definitely sounds like a situation where the employee is going to be entitled to common law severance. Mm-hmm. Um, so for somebody who is in their 60s working for 23 years, 52 weeks is maybe half of what you're entitled to. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I, I would feel extremely confident about that at trial, you know, for the purposes of settlement, you might want to settle somewhere in the range of 20 months, maybe 18, depending on how your job search goes. But for the most part, you know, 52 weeks, there's, there is not a judge in this province that would say that that's even close to being sufficient. That's not even on the lower end of the range. So there's certainly more there in terms of your severance entitlements. 
Um, and of course, you know, the other, the other component to this is this individual had just returned to modified duties. And, you know, I, I do think that discrimination can be difficult to make out in this age of COVID where everybody is getting terminated. And, you know, it's sort of difficult to really look at somebody's actions and extrapolate, um, you know, you know, nefarious intent from. But the fact of the matter is that if somebody has recently returned to work, that indicates that work is available to them or, you know, was a week ago. And if they were on modified duties and then terminated, that just doesn't quite pass the smell test. And that is what so many discrimination complaints are about, right? It's, does this pass the smell test? Because very few employers, very few companies, very few bosses and managers are, you know, out outright and explicit about, you know, some of their more discriminatory motivations. And so you look at things like timing. And in my view, the fact that somebody has just returned to work, been on modified duties, and then was fired, I think certainly indicates that their disability or their medical issue played a part in their termination. And if it played a part, even if it's just 1% of that part, um, then they have a claim under the human rights code. And that's in addition to being 50 cents on the dollar, uh, Erica's owed a lot more money, but that would also, to reiterate, include all components of her compensation. So her, her benefits, if she had a bonus structure, if she had a car allowance and all that stuff have to be included under that umbrella of severance, correct? Yeah, I mean, this is a potentially really big claim because right. we're talking not just about every component of, of compensation, which John very rightly would include benefits and pension, which could be very valuable for somebody who's 62 years old, Um, you know, car, commission bonus, all of that stuff is going to be included. We're also looking at a potential human rights code complaint. And, you know, depending on the circumstances surrounding the return to work and the eventual termination, we could be looking at, you know, like a bad faith complaint or aggravated damages or perhaps even punitive damages if the employer acted particularly egregiously. And in a situation like that, um, you know, we're, we're not just talking about 50 cents on the dollar. We're talking about you know, 20 cents on the dollar of the full claim when all things are considered, right? So in terms of this individual asking what their rights are, you have many, you are well protected by the law here. And I highly recommend that you seek legal counsel. Been another good show, my friend. Again, knocking it out of the park. You want to uh, follow up now with Leah anytime, you can do so. The email address, what we use on every show, you can use it anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca to reach out on phone. It's 604 283-3123 and a lot of the stuff we cover on the show lots more information can be found at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca there's even a section on disability law there as well so you'll want to check that out again pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and inside there to boot is the severance pay calculator so it's really robust it's absolutely free it's anonymous and you can use it anytime you like thanks for joining us appreciate the calls and the emails and we'll talk to you next time in the employment law show cknw The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.